I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today is a very special episode about the release of the Netflix Babysitter's Club series. Uh, There will be spoilers, so turn around and circle back later after you watch if you want. (laughs) Lots of spoilers. So before we get too far into this, let's, you know... Tell you guys about us. I'm Anna Chukala, a freelance writer, a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. I'm a Don. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, who could have imagined that? Like back when you were reading these books, could you have imagined? Fast forward decades to this to this show and seeing yourself basically on TV is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we're all kind of in shock. We all got up early today. We watched all 10 episodes basically in a row. And um, some of us cried maybe the whole time. Uh, And now we're trying to process it with all of you. So forgive us if we're a little disorganized. We're just really excited. And I think you're I think you're right. Anne. like eight or nine-year-old us would have just Mm -hmm. lost our minds. I don't know what I would have done if the show had existed when the books first came out. Well, there was a show that wasn't... Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Well... I mean, I think, you know... know, Why don't you tell us about... Okay, so for our listeners, there was a show on HBO that came out in what year? It was... ninety. 1990. And those of us that didn't have premium cable ordered VHS copies of that show from the back of the books. (laughs) Which I know what VHS is. is. Yeah. Um, I think the actresses in it worked very hard. And I, but I think the, the big problem for me at the time and what remains is that it was made by people trying to cash in on the babysitters club, not people that read the books themselves and understood what they mean to the people who read them. And so to me, that was the big difference with this. Um, It's like so clearly a labor of love from like the first opening credits, opening Christie's notebook and the handwriting being correct. I mean, (laughs) did she ever stop? (laughs) (laughs) That that was just very clear to me from the very beginning. And um, so huge shout out to Rachel Schuchert and Lucia Aniello. Hope we're saying those names right. Um, Because this thing they created is just incredible and Mm -hmm. very, very clearly made by people who love and understand the babysitters club on a deep level. Mm -hmm. And also I feel like this is a reminder of now that we're in our forties, Emily, you're not in your forties yet, but now people in their late thirties and early forties are now in power. So like we have control (laughs) over what to create. And clearly these two women were like, Ooh, what are we going to do? We're going to actually take our favorite book series from children and make it into a Netflix show now. Yeah. 
which was amazing. Yeah. Um, appropriately and, and, updated for the current moment. <laughs> so appropriately updated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just don't even know where to start. Why don't we start with all the things we've already talked about that <laughs> were updated in the show? And you said earlier. <laughs> oh, well, I guess for our listeners, like we've already recorded up to episode seven. So even though you guys have only, there's only three released right now, like we're, we're a little bit ahead and we we've talked a lot about, um, periods in almost every episode. And it, it becomes clear that Claudia definitely has her period because she's making like a sculpture out of something that represents menstruation. In episode one. In yes, episode one. That. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then, spoiler, Chrissy's big day just isn't a big day because of that wedding. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. You Chrissy. made that joke in that episode <laughs> we <did>. recorded. <laughs> I almost I wish did. we had released everything all in advance because I'm like, damn. <laughs> I know. Yeah, We've so got just so, so much stuff know. right. <laughs> Anne, was, Anne was there first, just so people know. <laughs> I thought that was so, it was dealt with so... Um, it was just so lovely. I loved their kind of gentle dealing with her earlier in the episode when she's talking there. She was like, what do they mean feminine products about packing for camp? She's like, what do they tell the boys to bring masculine products? And they did a really nice job, not just like laughing at her and just being like, um, yeah, I think like tampons and pads. And she was like, Oh, uh, yeah, I, I loved, I loved that whole plot. It was really nice. plot. Yeah. Yeah. The period plot. Yeah. I'm so psyched they dealt with that. It was clearly going on, right? It's clearly happening in the background. Yeah. I mean, Emily, we asked you in the very first, we asked you in the very first episode of this podcast, you know, how feminist you thought the books were um, compared to, you know, some of the think pieces that people have written about them over the years. And you were kind of like, meh, nah, I mean, it's fine. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm curious. Diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious what you think, uh, about how they took the, um, you know, feminist leaning bones of the original and how the show stands up in that area. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really great. There's a bunch of stuff that they've changed kind of met that challenge, I think. And on one hand, there's a kind of historical context of the eighties, but it's not like there wasn't a such thing as feminism in the eighties. <laughs> and on the other hand, we're kind of in the throes of a really sort of major intersectional social justice moment right now. And so I think that, you know, the show is still very wholesome and very, um, like overall sort of positive, right? It's like dealing with difficult themes in the context of like this really heartwarming kind of story about coming of age and friendship that isn't laced through with all the like overwrought sort of trauma of a lot of, of that's real in a lot of people's, you know, childhood. So, so it's, you know, we're still, we're still getting the, the, good gloss of like, um, coming up relatively privileged, but the kids are thinking a lot about like what it means to be a girl and what it means to be a boy. And one of the character changes that I thought was really interesting is they made, they got rid of Jenny Prezioso, the kind of prissy princess girl and, um, created a new babysitting charge that is a, a trans kid, uh, Bailey. Mm -hmm. So Bailey, 
Um, and so when Marianne saves the day in that, in this episode, Marianne's demonstrating maturity on like a whole bunch of different levels, aside from just like knowing what to do when a kid is sick. So Bailey is a girl um, who Marianne's playing princess dress up with. And then she spills some tea on her dress and Marianne says, let's go change. And she opens a closet and it's full of sort of very stereotypical boys clothes. And Bailey says, those are my old clothes. And so Marianne realizes, Oh, Bailey is a little girl who needed to dress differently to express their you know, inner self. And when she takes Bailey to the hospital, the doctors misgender Bailey and as a boy. And Marianne says, okay, I need to talk to you outside. And she goes, well, Esme's crying. (laughs) And she's like, Bailey's a girl and I'm going to need you to, you know, recognize her as such. And Marianne's dad, Mr. Spear, overhears her. And this is the moment where he's like, wow, I'm seeing you in a different light and like recognizing her maturity. So that was like a really cool update. I mean, like, who cares about a prissy girl dressed in princess dresses, but like this was a really interesting way to deal with gender expression. And also it's a learning moment for Marianne, right? Like she, she gets it, but she doesn't get it, get it. And she talks to Dawn about it later. And Dawn's like with it because her dad's gay and she's from California. And Dawn's like, you know, like, how would you feel if, you know, you were left-handed, but everyone forced you to write, do everything with your right hand your whole life. And Marianne's like, Oh, okay. I get, I get that. That's a, that's a metaphor that makes sense to me. I thought that was an excellent, um, uh, sort of, yeah. Adaptation. (laughs) Yeah. I I think Malia Baker who plays Marianne did just an incredible job throughout all 10 episodes, um, showing the nuance in Marianne coming out of her shell, um, and figuring out who she is and using her understanding of, you know, both Bailey Del Vecchio and some of the other characters and seeing how they define themselves and seeing how Dawn and her mom define themselves and sort of learn about themselves along the way. Um, you could like see the wheels turning and see her putting it together, but not in a kind of, um, overacted on the nose way, you know, yeah. it didn't come off like after school special, like, huh, maybe I'll figure out who I am too. It was, it was very nuanced. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved Mark Evan Jackson as Richard Spear. Yeah. Um, he, I like how they kept some of his like temperamental conservatism without, um, you know, but like the Richard Spear of the books, I feel like would not be down with a little trans girl. And right. he was like clearly well, proud of Marianne for defending her, you know. Yeah, and our episode on Marianne Saves a Day is dropping next week or this week, actually Thursday. So we talk a lot about his sort of patriarchalness and how he would have been a like Reagan era conservative. Um, and so like what, what they did with him here, I think is make him a lot more bound by his grief and his motivations for wanting to keep her close are about like reluctance to let go of that moment when her mom was still alive rather than like this commitment to sort of controlling her life and making her ascribe to a particular set of rules for like what it means to be a girl or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was also an update that was very appropriate and that worked really well. And like, just, just a sob fest also. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, the, the whole, um, you know, she has to do her hair differently. And he says, yeah, I just put it in braids because it's the only thing your mom taught me how to do. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> because there's all the, the, you know, of her as a mixed race kid and him not knowing, like, you know, lots of dads don't know how to do hair. I'm assuming he definitely doesn't know how to do black hair. Yeah. Um, and so that as a representation of his, like, failings as a father and of his grief, I just felt was just so perfect. 
Are you laughing at Esme for crying? I feel like, I feel like if you laugh at me a lot for crying, it's going to come off as real mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what are some other things they updated that we noticed? Oh my gosh. I, I just loved all the overt feminism jokes. I thought Alicia Silverstone did a really great job. There was a, um, Christy was mad at her and was asking, I forgot what brought it up, um, but oh, she was showing. She's her, wearing a yeah, the ring. ring. <laughs> yeah, she's showing her the engagement ring that Watson. It was Watson's family ring that got resized for her. And Christie was make some comment of like, "Ugh, I don't know why you have to show that you're his property. Like, are you going to start walking behind him now?" And she very sarcastically says, "Yes, all the time. And actually, I'd prefer you refer to me as of Watson." Um, <laughs> well, I was thinking about that too because we've noted in our readings of the books that like some of the references to pop culture of the '80s are kind of like obtuse they're not explicit you know like slime kings pounding down the walls for example is like Mm -hmm. not a real band (laughs) and um and i thought that was interesting because that's a very explicit like reference to handmaid's tale there was another what i think is a made-up band in the very first episode um sam sam can't um can't uh go can't babysit david michael because he's going to see the carcinogens he says that at the very first episode, but well, apparently there's a band in Newton, New Jersey called, called the Carcinogens, but I'm not sure if it's the same band that Sam was mentioning. <laughs> yeah. I say on the topic of Marianne, I'm, I was, I'm really happy that Humpty Dumpty got its own little moment to shine because I, I don't know why I like fixated on this Humpty Dumpty painting in Marianne's room. And I feel like, I don't know that I'm sure they got someone to paint that, but it's like exactly how I imagined it. And I'm really <laughs> glad that it like had a prominent role in her bedroom makeover. So yeah, it was fantastic. Again, our listeners haven't heard us talk about that yet, but it prominently features in our discussion for this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in Marianne's just, day. Just, just a few more days. We'll get there. Um, yeah, I just thought overall it was a big change from kind of tacit feminism to more overt feminism. Like, I feel like, you know, from the, you know, the very beginning, the decorum essay, Emily, you know, in our first Mm -hmm. episode, you pointed out that it was like patriarchal bullshit. And Christy was like very much like they would never make a boy write that essay. And her mom agrees. And she talks Mm -hmm. about how unfair it is. And I think there's several things like that along the way. I also really liked when she points out to Watson that boys could babysit too, as a sort of fuck you mm-hmm. to Watson. <laughs> yeah. 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 What did we think about Watson? I thought he did a nice job. Um, he's not bald. No. I know. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Um, he seemed a little bit more, a little like, dopier about his wealth in the show than in the movie. I mean, than in the books. But I don't know if that's a difference between like, 1986 rich guy and 2020 rich guy or what but I was like I don't love the updated plot line where he buys Charlie a car I don't like that either yeah we were so excited my kids were like oh here comes the junk bucket and they were so excited to see Charlie's car and then nope new beamer instead I know yeah I wasn't into that I thought he did a really nice job like I liked his bad dad jokes I thought he was like he knew what was going on and he did a good job as a like stepdad and future stepdad trying to ingratiate himself to a tough customer. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that that was all played very well, but I didn't, I didn't love that either. I really liked all the stuff with, I'm going to go back to Richard Spear, not just cause I like Mark Evan Jackson, but I really liked all the stuff with him and Don's mom. I thought mm-hmm. they did that really, really well. Um, you know what I thought was funny? So 
in the book where I think it's in Marianne Saves the Day where Don and Marianne first become friends. They watch the parent trap at Marianne's house before they realize that their parents knew each other in high school, which was kind of a funny foreshadowing in the book. But in this, in the show, they explicitly like they Marianne's dad and Don's mom at some point kind of break off things and then they're like let's parent trap them (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. dawn says project parent trap is in full effect or something like that yeah there were a bunch of uh, there were a bunch of fan service shout outs like the fact Anne and i were both really excited she texted in all caps to our group chat and i had written down in my notebook in giant letters paris magic which is the fictional broadway musical that stacy and lane go to and truth about stacy and it's the play that marianne actually directs in um, Camp Moosehead in the final two episodes. So that was another lovely, funny little um, mention from the books. Yeah. I was really disappointed that we didn't get to see the outcome of that, though, because I really wanted to know... You want to watch Paris- the whole play? I want to watch the whole play. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like that would have been a good use of our time. <laughs> no. I don't Just know. one song, though. I would... So I know, Anne, you wanted to talk about Janine. Um, I would be remiss in my psychology place to not point out that Janine got psychology wrong, which is a long um, tradition. Whenever they do psychology stuff on like Big Bang Theory, where they have all these physics consultants come in, they always get the psychology stuff wrong. And it makes me really mad. So Janine's supposed to be all hella smart, right? First of all, she quotes Psychology Today, which is not a real journal. You're going to see that. (laughs) And... Then when she quotes psychology today, she says that people are motivated more by fear of loss or punishment versus motivation for gain, which is also not true. Um, there's some particular, um, when people are clinically depressed, that's true. Um, and there's some kind of particular, um, circumstances under which that's the case, but it's not average human behavior. Positive reinforcement always works more effectively than punishment. This is, um, Janine basically gives the parents parenting advice to, to make Claudia stay home from the dance if she doesn't get an A on her algebra test. So thumbs down. Janine's supposed to be brilliant. I don't think she would make that mistake. Esme has out genius Janine. <laughs> but you have some thoughts on her. Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved everyone in the show. And I feel like especially the, the main five girls did an amazing job with their characters. But like Janine oh. was a little bit, she was like too robotic. She was too like, I don't, I, I know that by her, you know, description in the book, she's like very, she is like robotic and she's like encyclopedia and she mm-hmm. has no emotion, but I feel like she just seemed really, uh, like angry the entire time <laughs> or she, you know, and I think that yeah. they could have, I feel like they like developed these, um, multi-dimensional characters for everyone else. So why didn't they do the mm-hmm. same thing for Janine, right? I feel like they just, like, really stuck to, like, the script for her. Like, and not in, you know, not in, like, maybe the way I would have. It was fine, but since they were updating every everyone's characters, why didn't they update hers? And it's something we talked about a bit in our forthcoming episode on Claudia and me and Janine. But, like, one of the things that we talk about when we discuss that book is that, like, we get only Janine from Claudia's perspective in the books and Claudia's, you know, 12, 13. And so like mm-hmm. where, what they gave us in the Netflix show was just Claudia's 
version of Janine, mm-hmm. not like Janine as a fully, fully formed yeah. round, round character. I was just, I was just going to say that. And I think they just didn't, you know, the, the bonus of the books is you get a little bit more time from Claudia's perspective to kind of chew through what's really going on with Janine and understand her better. And so I feel like we only really get the one last scene of Janine and Claudia in the hospital. Um, where they're talking about Mimi's childhood experiences in Manzanar. And that's when we see a little bit more of Janine. But I I wish they gave her a little bit more of a chance. I thought the actress did a nice job with it, but I feel like they just didn't give her as much of a chance in other scenes. So another cool thing is that they brought in Mimi's past with, you know, the internment camps during World War II, something they we have talked about in the podcast, um, hypothesizing that, was Mimi in these? What's, what's her timeline? But in the show, it's very clearly stated that she was in the internment camps. Um, and it's something that, you know, I guess Janine, when they're in the hospital, Claudia's like, well, I didn't, you know, I know she was in them, but I didn't really understand. And like Janine kind of tells her. And it was, it was interesting because um, Janine said something like, she only talks about, about it when you ask her. And I feel like that's pretty accurate because my parents were in, were in internment camps, as was basically my entire family. So, and it's definitely something that no one talks about, really. Or, like, if they do talk about it, it is very, like, kind of, like, glossed over or it's, you know, it's just, like, in passing. And uh, which, and it makes me think, like, oh, I should really talk to my parents more about it because they were really, they were really little when they were, um well, your, your mom's about Mimi's age, right? They said that Mimi was yeah, they're, three. Yeah, and they're around, my parents are in their early 80s. So they were around yeah. the same age. But it's also like, it's like a weird thing because it's, they don't, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem they really want to talk about it too. So I feel like it was interesting, just like Janine's very short summary of that experience. It was like, everything's taken away. They were put into these like, you know, these barracks kind of, um, which is mom, my mom also said the same thing where they like, they were like, in, like we had to stay like where the horses were um, and like how there were men on watchtowers with guns and stuff watching in like barbed wire. So I would say like Janine's like description of that is very much like the three sentence summary I would also get from, from people in my family. <laughs> that then you're like, and from there, it's kind of like, okay, like, pass, pass the potatoes or whatever at Thanksgiving. Pass the potatoes. <laughs> um, yeah, I really liked that they dealt with that because I think, you know, one of the things we've been talking about a lot as we move through the books is the kind of, like, a, a way, the way in which some of the socio-political stuff is, like, ahistorical and, like, it's under the surface but not explicitly dealt with and I think this show did a really good job of kind of unearthing that stuff and like taking it seriously as like you know what's in the backdrop of the girls um Mm -hmm. you know day-to-day lives but also their sort of familial backgrounds Mm -hmm. the Mimi episode was a real tearjerker yeah yeah they did a really nice job with it well I'd like to give a big Shout out to Cynthia Summers, the costume designer for the series. I feel like she really nailed it. Um, especially, I would like to particularly mention Mimi's outfits, even though I know she was a side <laughs> character. Because 
as a person who has been around a lot of elderly Japanese women, that she really nailed these outfits. Just so like what, what specifically did you especially appreciate well, about just Mimi's like, Kind of like she wore just a lot of floral blouses that were just like very kind of, you know, generic, kind of like a loose fit. She probably got them at JCPenney's or Macy's, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. And she also wore that apron that kind of like what is like the kind of ties that goes over your entire front and ties in the back. Mm-hmm. And like my grandma definitely always wore that kind of apron specifically. Yeah. So it really, I was like, whoa. And just like her hair everything it was like so on point that maybe who knows cynthia herself may have an elderly japanese woman in her life to have guided her (laughs) yeah it sounds like you think that's likely Yeah. yeah um and i'm sure that 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 is the the costume choice probably least being talked about in other places uh i thought I thought she got every single one of the girls just perfect. Um, and to do that, but updating from the 80s outfit descriptions to figure out what they would wear now to express their personalities. I just, I just loved. Yeah. I don't know, anything that jumped out for you with the costuming? I mean, I feel like with Dawn, you never... You never really got a sense of like what Don's style was. So it was kind of like California, which I think you assume to be like very beachy, but like mm-hmm. Don's style was very like LA kind of, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like, felt like more akin to Claudia's style of choices than Stacey's. I loved Don's outfits. I thought they were very California, but like, what a California person thinks you should dress like on the East Coast. <laughs> oh, good point. Yes. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I also yeah, exactly. loved her hairstyles. Like those weird, like <laughs> center really front cute. braids and buns were so cute. <laughs> yeah, super cute. Yeah. All of their hair was awesome. I liked all the different things they had Marianne do with it once she got permission to switch it up. Um, mm-hmm. I love that Christie's was just there. You know, yeah, it was just hanging there. However, hanging out, um, yeah. Stacy did, did not a have job. a perm, though. I will say that. No, but Stacy wouldn't have a perm in 2020. Right. Well, but what would be the 2020 equivalent of a 1986 perm that would make a 12 year old sophisticated? Like highlights? She like gets highlights? Yeah, probably dyeing her hair with balayage. Balayage, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Stacy um, definitely gets her hair painted. <laughs> yeah. We wait, we haven't talked about Trevor yet. What'd you guys think of Trevor? So dreamy. I, mean, I liked that they switched him to being an artist too. I think that made more sense for a TV show. So um yeah. And yeah, he was like, he was a dreamy 12 year old. Like he definitely looks 12. He wasn't like Mm -hmm. an inappropriately aged dreamy boy, but you can Mm -hmm. see why Claude would be into him. Totally. Also, Logan, I thought was good too. The casting of Logan. Yeah, they were both perfect. I thought they did a really nice job with them. Um, I also want to point out that Scott, the lifeguard. (laughs) Yeah. um, Is like, okay. I didn't notice this before. But on the cover of Boy Crazy Stacy, that lifeguard looks like Fabio. Yeah. And he looks like, like he's so old. Yeah. yeah. Like so old. So weird. Yeah. 
But so we I'm haven't talked about Boy Crazy Stacy yet. No, but I'm glad that they yeah. made the lifeguard like maybe like 16 or 17 and not 37. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's actually 18 in the books, which I was like, ooh, cringy. Yeah. 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 Well, they, it's supposed to be cringy, right? He's supposed to be inappropriate. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Fine. Um, but speaking of I have of a lot Stacey, to say. <laughs> I know. Speaking of Stacy, though, can we talk about the Truth About Stacy episode? Because mm-hmm. I was very excited by the um, ad for the Babysitter's Agency. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was on social yeah. media. And I'm not sure why they changed Liz Lewis's name to Lacey, but it's, it's fine. It was still Michelle Patterson. Um, I Oh, yeah, that is weird. It. Yeah, it was just sort of a random change. Um, and I, Emily, I was especially curious in your sort of, you know, she uh, there's this confrontation between uh, Stacy and Lacey Lewis at the playground when they're she's giving away the babysitter's agency balloons. And she does this sort of like feminist capitalist thing that I was sure you were going to be super into. So. Well, that was one of my favorite lines I wrote down. So we can talk about it now or we can talk about it at the end. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, down too. <laughs> she says, welcome to the free market. And I was like, you just, why don't you just... End that sentence with bitch. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and then she says, when, you know, you really should learn to support other women. When one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. (laughs) That is like Cheryl Sandberg lean in feminism, like to a T. It was so good. Oh, God. Um, But I also thought it was really clever and a couple of reviews have talked about this already, but that, you know, Stacey's backstory of of getting bullied and kids not understanding her diabetes in Manhattan, that it was because of this viral video of her going into shock in the cafeteria at her old school that was then forwarded around um, and how it follows her to Stony Brook, I thought was a really... um, lovely way to update it and also just you could you could see the like terror in her eyes once it's posted and also a cool way for all of the babysitters to find out and Stacy's seizure in the cafeteria reminds me of another significant diabetic scene of film and television when in Steel Magnolias, Julia Roberts has to drink the orange juice in the salon. That just really stuck in my head of what diabetes was as a kid. And I was like, that's what diabetes is? Yeah, probably because of Stacy that stuck in your memory as a mm-hmm. child. I've never seen Steel Magnolias. <laughs> what? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we have to move past that. That's almost like not knowing what UHF is. I just feel like we have to move along. Um. I also like how that video was the biggest mention of social media in the entire series. They included texting and stuff, but there wasn't a lot of Instagram or TikTok in the show. Mm-hmm. Well, except at the beginning, right? They try to, Stacey's like, oh, let me cross-reference mm-hmm. our social media so we can advertise this way. And Janine's like, why don't you just distribute flyers? <laughs> They're like, yeah. oh, yeah, duh. It's just a neighborhood thing. Like, we don't need, yeah. We're not trying to attract a universal podcast audience, you know? No, that's true. <laughs> I wish we could just put flyers in people's mailboxes for the podcast. Listen guys. to our podcast. <laughs> Um, Do you like babysitting? (laughs) Have we got a podcast for you? Um, other sort of social justice stuff that they updated that I, I mean, I really like that Don's parents get divorced because Don's dad is gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I, I loved how they dealt with, you know, Watson and Don's dad and Marianne's dad as a, as a way of kind of torturing Christy about her dad and yeah. how that yeah. all came to a head. Um, that was really nice. 
totally unrelated and kind of a side thing, but a nice side representation thing. I like that the Dr. Johansson is now married to the art teacher, Mrs. Johansson. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it's this like like multi-racial lesbian couple with a, with a clearly adopted daughter because they're all three Mm -hmm. different races. So that was, that was cool too. Also, they left out the mention of white chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) well because yeah they also updated that very well i mean none of us is a doctor but i know that people Mm -hmm. with type 1 diabetes now can eat sweets occasionally right they've managed like insulin is easier to manage and more nuanced now and so stacy has a pump instead of having to give herself injections every day and later at watson and elizabeth's wedding she's having sweets with all of them and just mentions i need to keep close track of my levels because I'm going to eat all this crap. Um, So I liked that. Yeah, she wasn't like, I'm going to eat all this white chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) So you wanted there to be a specific on their dessert bar. You wanted there to be like a white chocolate cupcake and have Stacey be like, ooh. White chocolate, my favorite. Yeah. Oh, man. Another small thing in the book, when Watson brings over Chinese food, they eat the silverware. And in the show, they use chopsticks. I didn't get a chance to check out their Mm -hmm. chopstick technique, but I'll try to examine that in a rewatch. Okay, I want to talk about Mrs. Porter, or Morbid of Destiny is how they pronounced it here with an emphasis on the more, which was really funny to me for some reason. I don't know, because I've said Morbid in my whole life. Yeah. Um, but her real name is Esme in this show, which is very exciting. Well, Marianne pronounces it Esme, like I do, but Dawn and her mom pronounce it Esme, as in Aunt Esme, as in related to Sharon Porter, which only makes sense because Stony Brook is a small town and both of their last names is Porter. So I was very excited that they tied that into a little bow. Maybe that happens much later in the series, but I don't remember that from childhood. I do not either. Um, Me neither. Emily, you had lots of complaints about her witchy status, and I'm curious what you thought about the updates they did with this. I thought they were great. I loved that she gets to sort of be redeemed. Like it's not, she's not just get the kids don't just get away with, you know, condemning her as a witch because of her single status and her, um, you know, other sort of antisocial tendencies that she's like, Oh no, actually I do practice, uh, (laughs) Wicca or whatever. She is Mm -hmm. holding some sort of party for the new moon in Scorpio. And she's like, Oh, a ceremony. Excuse me. Um, (laughs) you know, and then when she hears that the kids call her morbid a destiny or when Don's mom hears that she's like, Oh, don't tell her that she'd love that. She wishes that was her name. Like, (laughs) so I thought that was cool. I mean, she even herself talks a bit about, you know, how the witch hunts or the demonization of women as witches was about sort of counterculture and, um, you know, stamping that sort of thing. And there's like a long and really rich um, tradition in like Mm -hmm. feminist thought that talks about sort of the witch hunts as a technique of kind of the early onset of capitalism that was a way of kind of eradicating, you know, traditional sort of medicinal knowledges that didn't conform to kind of um, the the new emerging enlightenment standards for knowledge. And so Mm -hmm. the like relationship of sort of witchiness and femininity to like the capitalist sort of um, dominant structure is, has always been really, you know, fraught and about power struggles and about, um, you know, femininity as this sort of thing that threatens the sort of universality of man and that kind of thing. So I liked that she sort of teased that and played with it a little bit, even if we're Mm -hmm. not getting the full sort of like capitalist history of it, but it was good. She was like owning, owning that, which I really liked a lot. 
And then Karen's like not as obsessed with her in the show as she is in the books. She's mm-hmm. just Karen in general is just this kind of like, uh, you know, like dark kid who's really more in, into yeah, more of a yeah. little weirdo. Yeah, and yeah. I loved that twist on her as well. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, I thought she was she was fantastic. The actress who played her was really incredible, and I always find Karen a little annoying in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never interested in. I mean, I was too old for the little sister books, but I also was like, oh, if I was going to read about somebody's sibling, it wouldn't be Karen. Like, I just <laughs> I didn't like her that much, and I thought she really gave her a, a great twist and I was much more interested in her stories and found her much more sympathetic and like an interesting kid. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And and Mrs. Porter as me gets to gets to be the officiant yeah. in Elizabeth's wedding, which, which is awesome. Makes way more sense than her just peering over the hedge right. in Christie's big day <laughs> and then the shriek at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Also, this Esme is going to be an officiant. Oh, yeah, that's true. I am going to officiate a wedding someday when it gets rescheduled for uh, uh, COVID. I'll yeah. be officiating my brother-in-law's wedding. That's true. Yeah. So, But I got so very excited when they were rocking up to Morbid at Destiny's house and Don's like, oh, you know, Aunt Esme. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I have an aunt whose name is Esme. Hold the phone. I am Don. Yeah. Yeah. Again, more evidence that you're Dawn. Mm -hmm. It just keeps happening. It keeps (laughs) happening. Oh my gosh. Claudia didn't talk about the junk food as much in the whole series. No, she didn't. It was still there. She appropriately and unfortunately had Twizzlers, right? Because she's an East Coast kid. So we had already predicted that. There were Twizzlers and she also mentioned watermelon gummies and mm-hmm. she also talked about Cool Ranch Doritos. And I really like that they chose Cool Ranch. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I missed that. She likes other junk food. It's not all candy. That was great. I was like, yes, on point, late 80s, early 90s reference. <laughs> of course, it's Cool Ranch Doritos. <laughs> yeah. I also liked at uh, Watson's wedding when she runs up with the cake and says, Nutella filling, no complaints. Like, so she would like Nutella. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. If this, if the books were in the aughts or the 2020s, she'd have like those little Nutella packets stuffed away, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about the whole um, protest revolution that Don foments at Camp Moosehead, uh, which is really exciting. And we get not just sort of sideways glances at climate change and income inequality, which is what we see in the rest of the series, which we've been talking about. Um, but like Don calls them out right away. Um, and yeah, I just there was so much good Dawniness in the last two episodes. It made up for the fact that she only got one only Dawn and the Impossible Three for herself in the first part of the series. But um, I thought it was really realistic. I thought the the way she led the protest was fantastic. And I thought, you know, at one point she's, she gets on the mic to call all of the kids across the camp to boycott their activities for the day, because uh, the whole reason for the protest is that kids can't do some of the activities without paying extra. Um, And she just wants camp to be the utopia it's supposed to be. And she says, I'm calling you as an organizer, but not as your superior which I thought was so great. I really liked when Claudia tries to um, like deliver the diatribe that she'd gotten from Don to the counselors and she messes up the words. It was like socioeconomic stratosphere or something, something yeah. like it's so good. That was really cute. And this camp's supposed to be utopious, which means fair. <laughs> and Meanie's like, it doesn't. It, it means ideal. ideal, but okay. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
so funny. I don't remember the super specials as well, and we haven't gotten there yet. So I, those episodes for me were just more fun and kind of continuation of what they'd already done. But I don't remember enough about super specials to do as like rigorous of a comparison as we've been doing so far. It's almost nothing like super specials do. Um, So I have reread that one fairly recently with my kiddos and Frankly, I loved it as a kid, but the plots are kind of boring. Really? So I thought they did a really nice job, and I loved that they brought Lane um, Mm -hmm. to Camp Moosehead and took that part of Truth About Stacy and kind of interpolated it to camp instead of in New York City. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really genius. Um, And I thought the plots they came up with for Camp Moosehead were better than the actual plots. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I thought it was, it was great to use that backdrop because, you know, stuff about camp is always fun when you're a kid, yeah. you know, parent trap, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to use that backdrop to get in some other parts of the stories and then to, sh- to also to get Mallory and Jesse into the club, which was another part where it was like, Whoa. yeah, those moments yeah. are very sweet. I really loved those episodes. I thought they were really nice. Let's talk about Stacy's poison ivy incident. <laughs> oh my god. It's grotesque. I feel bad for Shay Rudolph for having to get that makeup job done. Yeah. Seriously, for those scenes was the makeup direction like, mm, make it look worse. No, uh, a little a little worse. So. Uh, more like Freddy Krueger. I mean, was there a reason they had to close <laughs> one of her eyes? So in in the super special, Stacy gets like five diseases at once at Camp Mohawk, which they thankfully updated the name of. So she gets like impetigo and pink eye and uh, poison ivy and something else. And she's stuck in the infirmary for like many days. So I think it was sort of a nod to that, that like just poison ivy on its own wasn't bad enough. But yeah, she she was looking rough. Yeah, she's looking rough. (laughs) (laughs) But she pulled it off. (laughs) I love that they're like kids and Charlie and Sam are teenagers and like the, I don't know. I just loved the like age appropriateness of it all. I thought it was really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I really loved, I don't know if you guys noticed is that, um, both Marianne and Stacy's first kisses were featured in the series. Mm-hmm. Stacy's with Toby at Sea City and Marianne's with Logan this time instead of at the final fling or whatever it is. And Logan likes Marianne at Camp Moosehead. Um, did you notice anything about those first kisses of theirs? The girls initiated the kiss. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the they instigators. Were initiated yeah. by the girls. Yeah. Which I was like, yeah. I thought you were going to go really the cool. like PG route. <laughs> I was like, no. Huh? No, no tongue. Like, no, I know. <laughs> Neither one had tongue. But also, yeah, the girls they were initiated. Both initiated by the girls. Yeah, I love that. Which I, which I really liked. Um, it was a nice way to, uh, great to show them taking charge and um, a, a great way to deal with that. I just want to say that I love how Stacy is so confident when it comes to boys. Like, she just went right for the lifeguard with no hesitation. And she was like a little crow bringing him shiny things. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Crow. She's so funny. Um, yeah. Her humiliation, though, is a little so so dramatic. I was like, damn, girl. Oh, yeah. That was hard <laughs> to watch. I really loved when Christy and Don are having their thing in the kitchen and Christy calls her alternative. And then she goes, like, in the 90s sense. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> that was great. That Another was great. nod to, like, the... The generation yeah. of, you know, 
80s kids who grew up with them, I think. Also, I'd like to point out that they don't wear shoes in Claudia's house. Yep. I noticed that. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, oh, I also liked that they made Alex in Sea City, who's Marianne's love interest in the book. He was gay. Yeah. Um, I like that. just came out right away. He was just like being her buddy, like giving her advice about Logan. I thought that was a nice way of dealing with that. You know, she clearly already liked Logan since they messed with the sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the original Boy Crazy Stacy, Logan hasn't moved to town yet. And so it, that's not an issue. Right. Um, but it was like a nice way to to get around that and still have her have someone to hang out with when Stacy's being selfish. Yeah, I liked that a uh, lot. Were you guys disappointed that Logan wasn't from Louisville, Kentucky with his Marianne? I had forgotten about that. Southern accent. So no, but I will be when we get there. <laughs> Thanks. He started talking and both of my kids were like, oh man, they wanted him to have an accent. <laughs> How do you guys feel about knowing these characters so well from the books and now seeing these actors put their own spins on them? While they stayed very true to the characters Anna Martin wrote in the show, I felt like they came to life in a much more multidimensional, nuanced way. But with like Christy, she was far more bossy in the show, I think, than in the books. Like she really leaned into that character trait. Yeah, as a Christy, I I loved it. I thought Sophie Grace nailed it. I think, um, you know, she she's an assertive kid who knows what she wants, but she's only 12. She's not going to always be good at getting it. She's not going to do it gracefully. And she has a big mouth and she steps on people's toes. And it was like, she wasn't afraid to make her a little unlikable along the way. And that made her a more real character, which then made her more likable. I think too, that's another one of those little nods to, you know, contemporary feminism that like, she knows that being bossy is a gendered thing and she's like reclaiming it, right? Like I'm bossy, get over it. Like, yeah, this is a, this is the dynamic of our friend group. And like, I'd love it if you'd be part of it, but then this is the deal. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is, you knew what this was, which is what I say to my husband and, and frequently um, about my own personality. You knew what this was. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think we, we've talked a lot about uh, Marianne and about Stacy already. I think they, I thought they were both incredible. Um, and I think uh, Dawn t- brought this wonderful, you know, California, but not a stereotype of California energy. Um, like they, they sort of nodded a little bit when it was part of a stereotype and also like, you know, we do talk a lot about a lot of those things and we do tend to eat more health food than other parts of the country. And like some of that stuff is true. And I thought she brought a freshness to it. Um, that was really, really great. Yeah, I agree. I think out of all the characters, Don was the one that was developed and fleshed out into a, a way more fully realized person compared to the books. Yeah, she was more, more, more than two dimensional. Yeah. How did you feel about Momona Tamada as... Claudia. I thought Momona Tomata was so amazing. In the Claudia books we've read so far, we mentioned how they're kind of dark. I feel like she brought a lightness and she was super witty and funny and also introspective. She portrayed Claudia as way more than just a girl who's good at art and likes candy and wears cool outfits. I also loved how the show showcased her intelligence, even though it wasn't in an academic way. I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess I never pictured book Claudia as as lighthearted and as irreverent as portrayed on the show. Hmm. Although we did spend a lot of time talking about the reference she makes about 
what, what am I, the queen of France? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were like, that doesn't seem like something Claudia would say. But now in the show, we're getting a version of her that's like probably more deft with jokes like that or something. Yeah, <laughs> and I think she's pretty irreverent. Like, I think it's because, for instance, Christy is bossy, Marianne is shy, and then Claudia was good at art. But it's not like being good at art is a personality trait. I feel like Netflix Claudia was just able to show so much more of her personality. Mm -hmm. Emily, you brought up the line where she was trying to repeat what Dawn said, and it shows how hard she wants to learn and grow, but she kind of is fumbling along the way, and it's in, and she's in the process of learning how to get there. Did you guys catch the, the Claudia thing I thought was lovely, the nice update of her drawing the logo and emailing it to Christy? And she emails it as an attachment and tiny on the screen. You can see, what do you think? I think it's great. And she spells great, G-R-A-T-E. And I was like, yeah. It was cute. Perfect. I yeah. didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. You guys did a good job. Everyone who had anything to do with this show, you you made most of us cry all morning. And uh, I know it's going to be on repeat in my house for sure, because my kids are going to watch every episode seven times, probably. I thought it was really, really fantastic and did a lot of the things that we'll continue to be discussing in this podcast that we would love for the books to have been able to do in 1986. And mm -hmm. um, I love thinking about Anna Martin having these conversations with the showrunner and the directors and the producers about ways to, because I know she's a producer and was super involved in the writing and has writing credits on all the episodes. And so I love that you know, she's on board with these updates too. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. Wait, Esme, you didn't mention that one thing we had talked about. Oh, <laughs> talking about people that read the books doing this right. There's been a lot of great press, by the way, and we won't talk about all the different articles, but there's one, lots of great articles about what a great job they've done on this show. I mean, the, the press in general is super glowing. And then, um, there's also been some info recently about the 1995 Babysitter's Club movie that was, I think, was pretty good. I liked a lot of things about it. Um, but they had a retrospective. Was that in Vulture? I think it was a retrospective in Vulture about the filming of that movie. We'll link to that in this episode. And um, they got in touch with many members of the cast and um, with the director, Melanie Mayron, who admits in this Vulture retrospective that she never read a Babysitter's Club book and still has not. And I'm just like, why, why, why would you not read the source material if you're making the movie? I don't even know what to do with that information. I, I yeah. don't know what to do with it either. And I'm like, you I'm know, horrified. It's horrifying. So just thank you to everybody involved in this because you clearly read the books and read them well and read them thoroughly. And you clearly loved them as much as we did before, before we started recording and said, it's like we made this show, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is high praise because we, we really think we have good ideas. So thank you for making a thing that like takes what we wanted from Stony Brook out of our heads and, and puts it on the screen. Although of course does it much better than we could do. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Just kidding. If you want to hire Anne for season two, she's available and she lives in LA. <laughs> <laughs> it was really just a period thing that was the big revelation yeah they were uh, in our heads for sure was a huge huge addition uh, they were in our heads for sure yeah should oh, we man. do favorite lines yeah oh i have so many you guys go first because i wrote down like 12 and maybe you'll say some of mine okay well welcome to the free market was one of mine <laughs> that we already talked about my other the only other one i wrote down because it 
made me laugh so hard was when they're in, during Boy Crazy Stacy, when they get out of the, I can't remember if they're getting in the car with the Pikes or getting out of the car with the Pikes, but Marianne describes the Pikes as having no behavioral boundaries, <laughs> which I was like, first of all, is that something a 12 year old would really say? Second of all, like, behavioral is such a different register that we have now for thinking about those dynamics that like was not like they wouldn't have said that in the 80s so I thought mm-hmm. that was both a hilarious like update from the 80s but also still in the realm of like would a 12 year old say that yeah. <laughs> kind of thing and like, like I almost did a spit take with my coffee at that one yeah. I thought it really so cracked good. me up yeah those are the only two I wrote down um, but I'm sure I there were many down, others uh, when Don says about Christy namaste her into submission that oh yeah funny. <laughs> um, I like it Mr. Spear says does the shirt smell like meat <laughs> And so also, when, nervous he was about yeah. Sharon. And then, like, Sam's, I don't know if he t- mentioned this, but how Sam draws a blender. Like, his thing is like a blender. And he says, It's yeah. a thing I draw. Yeah. <laughs> it's like his tag or something. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Blender Boy 2020. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I wrote down so many things. One that I, I really like that isn't funny, but I just love is, um, behind every tantrum is something else as a, as a child psychologist. That was just a lovely line. And I like that Don, it, it was in Don's voiceover as she's watching Christy smash all the chips. Um, cause life is unfair dad wise. So that was great. Um, one that really cracked me up was when they're at Claudia's art show and Logan is looking at some paintings and Marianne is like super awkward and doesn't know what to say. And so she says, what is it? And it's like a still life. And Logan goes, I think it's a basket of eggs. <laughs> that was a cute scene. like runs away. I thought that was really funny. Another one was um, when Christy's complaining about um, the wedding's effect on her mom, which we'll talk about in Christy's Big Day. And she says, this wedding has turned my mom into the most basic person who has ever lived. Which yeah. I thought was especially yeah. funny coming from Christy. Is a good update um, of the like heteronormativity stuff we talk about in that book. Yeah. I also really liked um, just Dawn saying like, this is so good. It makes me forget that refined sugar is legal poison. <laughs> <laughs> which I also thought so was really Dawn. good oh doesn't it okay yep. so Karen when she's playing with that with that doll that creepy doll mm-hmm. and she says like it's, its name is Krakatoa yeah and she says Krakatoa Krakatoa was an atheist yeah, <laughs> yeah Karen, they had so much fun with Karen yeah <laughs> oh, oh I forgot my very favorite line I just found it so it's in the um, the Camp Mohawk double episode. Mallory and Jesse are leading Christy through the woods to try to find Karen because Karen has run off by herself. Spoiler alert, she's fine. And then um, Christy says something like, Mallory, I didn't know you were such a wilderness expert. Oh, and yeah. Mallory says, I identify as more of a horse girl, but there's a lot of overlap. That was good. <laughs> I like oh my God. I, I love that line too. That's it. So horse, good. I identify as a horse yeah. girl. So I forgot good. about Krakatoa as an atheist though. I think that's a I think that's the winner. Krakatoa <laughs> as an atheist. Oh. It is good. It is good. <laughs> it's just something I draw. <laughs> that's just, also really good too. I just want to know the backstories of these things. Like you know, know that blender, like 
someone on that show, a producer was like, oh, I used to draw blenders. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> or something. So they yeah. just like wrote it into the script. Yeah. Please let us know if you're the one that used to draw the blender. I'm all over it. Yeah. I don't know. Just, it's hard. I don't know, you guys. I really like that. I identify as more of a horse girl, but there's a lot of overlap. I don't know. It's, good. it's like such a good Mallory line. Yeah, yeah it's, with a, that one. it's a great Mallory line. No, but if, if you guys are more fond of the blender or Krakatoa, that's that's fine with me too. My only issue with identify as a horse girl, but there's a lot of overlap, is it's a bit long for an episode title. <laughs> this is true. Fair enough. Fair enough. <sighs> or you could just be I'm a horse girl. I think we'll have one with something like that in the title at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we definitely will along the way. Along the way. I want to mention something in the scene where Christy's mom and Watson are driving away and Christy's uh-huh. kind of standing there and she's having that like voiceover thought about things. And uh-huh. then she's like, as I watched my mom drive away and then her mom like runs out of the car, and gives her a hug. That's uh-huh. like exactly a scene from father of the bride. That was like a nineties movie with Steve Martin. Oh, you there's a scene exactly. I love that movie, but if you're seeing exactly like that where Steve Martin is watching his daughter drive away after a wedding at a house and he's like having this like voiceover moment of like thinking about the day and then she stops, the car stops and she runs back out and like hugs her dad. And I was like, I wonder if that was like a nod to that movie. Oh, that's cute. I didn't catch that. Yeah, that is cute. Yeah. Um, Oh, one other thing that I didn't mention at all, you know, we're a little less organized because we're so, uh, at least I'm pretty emotionally dysregulated from watching all these episodes. Um, (laughs) No play group, no emergency babysitting for Watson's Mm -hmm. friends and family. All of the like, basically all of the babysitting is taken out of the books. Thank God. (laughs) 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 <laughs> which I thought might have been your experience. But given how amazing Karen was, I think that there's, you know, there's some really great child actors out of there that we that we could, I would have liked to see Jackie Rodowski. I would have, you know, I was glad they used yeah, all of the true. real names. Um, but my, so again, the difference between viewing or reading as adults versus kids, my kids were like, there wasn't enough babysitting. Like they were all bummed. They were both bummed mm. that there wasn't mm-hmm. more of that. Like, they're like, not even the play group, not even the, you know, because it's pretty central to Christie's big day. Um, yeah, that's true. So, well, they have the books straight. Just, I don't think they could have done it differently. Yeah, I don't think they could have done it differently. I just think it, it was noticeable to me. Well, it's usually the the babysitting scenes usually didn't move, move the plot scenes along that much. Or like, they didn't move the plot right. along very much in the books, but... Okay, so pizza toast. What should be pizza toast to? I think we got a pizza toast to uh, Rachel Schukert and as the showrunner and literally everybody that worked with her to make this masterpiece. Like, I couldn't be more pleased. And I don't think I've said that about most things that have followed the books. Fine. I guess we can do an earnest and wholesome pizza toast. (laughs) What did you want a pizza toast to, Em? I don't know. A blender. <laughs> a blender, yes. It's just a thing I to draw. Sam Thomas's blender. To Sam's blender. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> or Paris Magic. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, fine. Pizza toast to Paris Magic. <laughs> to Paris Magic. Paris Magic. <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. 
Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org backslash shop backslash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling deeply generous and you want to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. 